Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Queen Elizabeth II has died. She was the UK's longest reigning monarch, serving as head of state for more than 70 years. The Justice Department announces their plan to appeal a federal judge's decision to authorize the appointment of a special master for Trump's documents. And former Trump aide Steve Bannon is being charged again with pocketing funds from his plan to build a border wall. The mayor of D.C. declares a public emergency to deal with the busloads of migrants being sent to the nation's capital from border states. An investigative journalist in Nevada murdered while reporting on a local official. That official is now in custody and charged with the crime. And the U.S. Secretary of State made an unannounced visit to Kyiv today, unveiling nearly $3 billion in aid for Ukraine and allies. President Biden is requesting billions more. Queen Elizabeth II passed away today at her castle in Scotland. She was 96 years old and Britain's longest reigning monarch. Her oldest son, Charles, becomes the UK's new king. NTD's David English is in London tonight. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, Buckingham Palace said, The Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and travel to London tomorrow. The new King, Charles III, said, We mourn profoundly the loss of a cherished sovereign and much-loved mother. I know her loss will be deeply felt throughout the country, the realm and the Commonwealth and by countless people around the world. Her reign lasted 70 years, the longest Britain has ever seen. The royal family rushed to be with the Queen after doctors said they were concerned about her health. The world's oldest monarch, aged 96, had been suffering from what Buckingham Palace has called episodic mobility problems since the end of last year. Her eldest son and heir, Prince Charles, and his wife Camilla travelled to her Scottish home, Balmoral Castle, to be by her side. They were joined by her other children, Anne, Andrew and Edward, as well as Charles' eldest son, Prince William. Spokesperson said Prince Harry would also travel to Scotland. Last October, Queen Elizabeth spent a night in hospital and had since been forced to cut back on public engagements. On Wednesday, she cancelled a virtual meeting with senior ministers after being advised to rest by her doctors. The previous day, she had been pictured appointing Liz Truss as the country's new Prime Minister at Balmoral, the 15th Premier of her record-breaking reign. Elizabeth has been Queen of Britain and more than a dozen other countries since 1952, including Canada, Australia and New Zealand. 2022 marked her 70th year on the throne with four days of National Jubilee celebrations in June. Elizabeth came to the throne after the death of her father, King George VI, on February 6, 1952, when she was just 25. She was crowned in June the following year. The first televised coronation was a foretaste of a new world in which the lives of the royals were increasingly scrutinised by the media. She became monarch at a time when Britain retained much of its empire. It was emerging from the ravages of World War II, with food rationing still in force and class and privilege still dominant in society. Winston Churchill was the first Prime Minister who served during her reign, Joseph Stalin was leader of the Soviet Union, and the Korean War was raging. Well-wishers gathered outside Buckingham Palace in London. The UK is now set to observe a period of national mourning.
It is a day of immense sadness for the nation. The Queen died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. David English, NTD News, London. President Biden sent his condolences to the British royal family. He wrote, quote, Queen Elizabeth II was more than a monarch. She defined an era. And also today, the Justice Department filed a notice of appeal alerting a Trump-appointed judge they're appealing her recent order. Days ago, District Judge Eileen Cannon granted former President Trump's request for a special master to review documents seized in the Mar-a-Lago raid. Last week, the DOJ argued against the proposed appointment, saying that its internal teams had already reviewed and filtered out privileged information. The matter will now go before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. And today, Steve Bannon, White House strategist during the Trump administration, faces additional charges after turning himself in to authorities at a Manhattan courthouse. The new indictment alleges Bannon conspired to launder money and commit fraud related to a plan to build a wall along the U.S. southern border. Bannon allegedly defrauded donors in the border wall effort and funneled over $100,000 to himself and his associates from solicited donations. New York state prosecutors began investigating Bannon after former President Trump pardoned him in January 2021 for federal charges related to the same plan. Bannon pleaded not guilty. And the mayor of D.C. has declared a public emergency over illegal immigrants. NTD's Jason Perry has more on how the mayor plans to use her emergency powers. After two failed attempts at getting the National Guard to help with the illegal immigration crisis, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser is taking another route. I am declaring a public emergency. And she will use her emergency powers. To establish a migrant services office with DHS and direct the department to provide services and supports to migrants arriving from the southern border states. Texas has bussed over 7,600 illegal immigrants to the nation's capital since April. And that's not counting the buses from Arizona. The mayor explains the services the new office will provide. Reception services, reps, spit services, meals, transportation, uh, urgent medical needs, transportation to connect um, people to resettlement services and the like. She mentioned that the majority of the illegal immigrants being bused to D.C., continue on to other cities, and she thinks they are being tricked or lied to before getting on the buses. D.C. Council Member Brianne Nadeau said this. So it's been said, but it's worth reiterating, that the governors of Texas and Arizona have created this crisis. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has also complained about the buses to his city. Almost 2,000 illegal immigrants have been bused there since August 5th. Texas Governor Greg Abbott said this on Fox 7 Austin earlier in the week. What the mayor of New York needs to do, he needs to be talking to the one person who has both the responsibility and the control to do something about the border, and that's President Biden. In the month of August alone, over 185,000 illegal immigrants were apprehended at the U.S.-Mexico border, according to provisional Customs and Border Protection data obtained by the Epoch Times. Jason Perry, NTD News. Police in Las Vegas arrested an elected official on a murder charge. He's suspected of killing a journalist who reported on his alleged wrongdoing in office. 
The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department announced Thursday that they arrested Clark County Public Administrator Robert Tellis and charged him for open murder. This was in connection to the death of Las Vegas Review-Journal investigative reporter Jeff Gearman, who was found stabbed to death outside his home last Saturday. This is a terrible and jarring homicide, one that has deeply impacted Las Vegas. Every murder is tragic. But the killing of a journalist is particularly troublesome. We hope the arrest of Tellus and his subsequent prosecution will ultimately provide a sense of justice for our community and Mr. Gehrman's family. Gehrman was researching Tellus the week he was killed. He previously wrote that the official created a hostile work environment and had an inappropriate relationship with a staffer. Tellus was upset about articles that were being written by Gehrman as an investigative journalist that exposed potential wrongdoing, and Tellus had publicly expressed his, uh, his issues with that reporting. And then ultimately, Tellus was also upset, from what we found out later, that there was additional reporting that was pending. Police say Tellus was identified as a person of interest early on, and later investigations led them to find evidence that Tellus was involved in the killing. This includes Tellus's DNA at the crime scene, descriptions matching his car, apparent blood on his shoes, and clothing that matched the ones in surveillance footage. Tellus's term is due to end in January. The official is currently held at the Clark County Detention Center. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And in New York, as the race for governor draws near, recent NYPD figures show major crime is up more than 30% so far this year. What's it like on the ground, and how much could this play into voters' decisions? One man has been patrolling the streets of New York City since the late 70s, and I spoke with him earlier today. Curtis Sliwa founded the Guardian Angels, which has created hundreds of safety patrol chapters throughout the country. He also previously ran for mayor. Curtis Sliwa, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure again. I put my hands across the world to talk to all of you. It's great to have you on. Now, the Guardian Angels has been patrolling New York City since the 80s, at least. How does the city compare today? Well, it's nowhere near as bad as it was in the 80s with crack cocaine and burned out buildings and gangs everywhere. But we're beginning to slip into that abyss. So you have DAs who won't prosecute, judges who won't incarcerate, and police who have been told to step back. So if the cops can't be proactive, they'd like to be, but they can't, then you have to clear the way and let citizens be able to defend themselves, their property, their family, their community. And we're seeing more and more of that, not just in the city of New York, but all over the United States. And what do you think are some of the main factors contributing to the crime spike in New York? Well, there's no doubt that the number one factor is there's no consequences. So whether you're young, middle-aged, old, you recognize that even if you're caught red-handed in the commission of your crime, even a violent crime, there's a very good chance that you're going to be cut loose to go out and become a predicate felon, to do it again and again and again. And also, you hear elected officials making excuses for your aberrant behavior. I mean, you're listening and said, wow, I didn't know I was a product of a bad environment. That's, that's why I do what I do. No, you have to be held culpable just like anybody else. And the officials really have poured gasoline on the fire when it comes to giving excuses to criminals who consistently repeat their crimes again and again. So you're alluding to the bail laws in New York City, right? 
and which have recently been reformed. Mayor Eric Adams, who you ran against in November, has also opposed these changes, and he's called on Governor Kathy Hochul to make changes. Is there anything else that you think that he can do as mayor, or is the ball completely in Hochul's court? Well, uh, the swagger man with no plan, Eric Adams, uh, he can say that it's all tied to uh, no cash bail. That's only one part of it. What he doesn't tell you is that he led the effort to strip from police officers, as a former police officer himself, from Buffalo to Brooklyn, qualified immunity. That is the guarantee of everyone who works for the city, the state, that they will be covered if there's a lawsuit. Now cops are being sued personally. So here it is. Eric Adams can't have it both ways. How is it he stands before his police department that is shrinking as we speak and saying, it's okay that you're sued? I can't be sued as mayor. Former Governor Cuomo can't be sued, even though he's responsible for 16,000 deaths of senior citizens. But cops can be sued? That's why their morale is at an all-time low. And that's why it's going to be a very difficult time. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And we've seen the Republican candidate running against Kathy Hochul in the coming election, gaining in popularity. Do you think that law and order has a big part to do with that? There's no doubt in this upcoming gubernatorial election in New York that'll be decided on November 8th. It's all about law and order. Now, if you side with the criminals, you're going to vote for Kathy Hochul. If you side with law and order, you're going to vote for Congressman Lee Zeldin. It's a clear choice. And uh, in a uh, heavily blue state, if Lee Zeldin can get 30% of the vote in New York City as a Republican, which I was able to get against the Democrat Eric Adams, He'll be the next governor. But the battle is all in the five boroughs of the city of New York. He'll win the rest of the state. It'll be a sea of red. But New York City is a sea of blue. He's got his work cut out for him. And as you mentioned earlier, New York City had vast skyrocketing crime in the 80s and 90s. Uh, but, but it was able to be turned around um, due to a change in policy and approach. Is there anything that you think that we can learn from that change that we can apply today? Absolutely. The person who changed it all was Rudy Giuliani. Uh, zero tolerance, quality of life. The smallest indiscretion was treated seriously. So it wasn't a, a drip-down theory. It was a drip-up theory. So the smallest crimes were treated seriously, which led to resolving the more serious crimes. And we became the biggest, safest city in America under Rudy Giuliani. Prior to that, we were the most dangerous, the most violent, the most gang-ridden, the most murders in all of America. And that turned around in eight years. So the, the template has already been set. You just need to follow the footsteps of what Rudy Giuliani did. All right. Thank you so much for your time, Curtis Lewa, founder of The Guardian Angels. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Anytime. Over to California, state officials have repeatedly asked residents to conserve water and energy to avoid blackouts. And as the heat wave continues, there's growing concern over the power grid. NTD's David Lamb has that story. Many Californians received this text message alert throughout the week. It came as state officials asked people to conserve energy to avoid power outages. 
California Independent Systems Operator, a nonprofit that oversees the state's bulk electric power system, recently extended the statewide flex alert from 4 to 9 p.m. to 3 to 10 p.m. We ended up with a, a final peak load last evening of 50,184 megawatts. Uh, at 4 p.m., we triggered the EEA2 alert, uh, which gave us access uh, to the set of effectively emergency resources. California's power alerts are divided into three levels, with each becoming more severe in terms of people losing service. Now we are in stage number three. The reason for this is because four and nine, we lose one of the main sources of renewable energy, which is the sun. The sun starts going down, so we are really not getting anything from us, and it's a big percentage that pushing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, power, electrical power or megawatts into the system. Benafa says at this stage, the state exceeded the emergency reserves, causing a possibility for rolling blackouts. They're trying to make sure that, you know, they balance the load so we're not going to, uh, an, an, a, you know, a level where transformers going to blow up, uh, power lines going to go down, and now we're going to have a complete, complete, you know, blackout. The state also requested that electric vehicle owners avoid charging their vehicles during the energy emergency. That comes after Governor Gavin Newsom announced plans to push for more EVs in California, including banning the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. The highest number in the, in the nation. Uh, the current, the, the, the current uh, infrastructure needs to be improved to deal with the future expansions and uh, a new initiative that we're not going to have any, uh, we're not going to accept any uh, gas, you know, uh, driven cars. California is currently caught under a heat dome, which is set to subside by the weekend. David Lamb, NTD News, California. Coming up, Clemson and football coach Dabo Sweeney agree to the largest coaching contract in NCAA history. NTD's Dave Martin brings us the details after the break. In an unannounced visit, the U.S. Secretary of State met with Ukraine's president today. The U.S. is committing nearly $3 billion more to Ukraine and its allies. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup. In his second trip to Ukraine since the start of the Russian invasion nearly seven months ago, Secretary of State Antony Blinken today met with President Zelensky. It comes as Ukraine mounts a counteroffensive focused on reclaiming areas Moscow has taken over. The Biden administration has announced around $2.8 billion in new aid for Ukraine and other European allies. In addition, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announces new military aid. The latest tranche of U.S. assistance to Ukraine valued up up to $675 million. And in addition to this newly announced money for Ukraine, Biden is also calling on Congress to pass another $11 billion emergency package to support Ukraine. Both Senate Leader Chuck Schumer and Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell appear open to approving this new funding. Here's what the top leaders are saying this week. Uh, Ukraine is obviously a priority for most of us on both sides of the aisle. Ukraine needs more help. We want to give it to them. 
The last time Congress passed such a massive emergency package for Ukraine was back in May, and that was worth about $40 billion. Only a handful of Republicans opposed it at that time, so the question now is, are Republican senators willing and ready to vote for another emergency aid package for Ukraine? But with Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell signaling that they are open to passing another emergency package, it is possible that they could, in fact, find a way to attach it to this government funding bill they're looking to pass by the end of the month. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Climate lockdowns, are they coming? This week, the European Union told citizens they'll need to flatten the curve on electricity consumption. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, said this week that there's a global scarcity of energy. She says one reason is the Russian attack on Ukraine, but also the fact that we have less nuclear electricity in the European Union at the moment. Sterling Burnett is the director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy. He says energy really is scarce in Europe, but it was European politicians who decided to turn off nuclear plants. Europe has created its own problems, just like California has created its own problems. They've taken reliable power plants, coal, nuclear, uh, and other power plants offline. Because of the energy scarcity, von der Leyen put forth immediate measures that she says will lower the cost of energy for consumers. One of those is called smart saving, where people have to use less energy at peak hours, which she says is when electricity costs the most. So what we have to do is flatten the curve and uh, avoid the peak demands. We will propose a mandatory target for reducing electricity use at peak hours. And we will work very closely with the member states to achieve this. Burnett says mandatory targets like this one are normally seen in countries like China. They're going to punish you if you don't keep your thermostat at the level they want it. They're going to punish you if you do things for power, if you run your appliances when you're not supposed to run your appliances. NTD reached out to the European Commission but didn't hear back before broadcast. Burnett says similar measures are already coming to the U.S. She cites California's recent warning for residents not to charge their electric vehicles. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Dabo Swinney has agreed to a new 10-year, $115 million contract with Clemson. That's the largest college football coaching contract in terms of total compensation. The deal exceeds the 10-year, $112.5 million agreement that Georgia gave Kirby Smart earlier this summer. In terms of yearly value, only Nick Saban's annual average of $11.7 million exceeds Swinney's. Swinney took over at Clemson on an interim basis back in 2008. The 52-year-old has since led them to two national championships and seven ACC titles. In tennis news, 19-year-old Carlos Alcaraz became the youngest U.S. Open semifinalist in more than three decades when he beat Yannick Sinner in a five-set marathon that didn't end until 2.50 a.m. Thursday morning. At five hours and 15 minutes, the match was the second longest in the history of the event, while the early morning ending time was the latest ever. Alcarez lost the tiebreakers in both the second and third sets and saved a match point in the fourth before prevailing. The 19-year-old is the youngest player to reach this far since Pete Sampras won the event back in 1990. Alcarez will face American favorite Francis Tiafo, who upset Rafael Nadal on Friday. 
On the women's side, Serena Williams' farewell tour last week gave ESPN their highest watched match in the network's 43-year history. Her Friday night loss to Isla Tomljanovic reached 4.8 million viewers, besting the previous record set when Roger Federer beat Andy Murray in the 2012 Wimbledon Finals. Meanwhile, her doubles match with older sister Venus on Thursday night was the first time ESPN aired any kind of doubles competition in primetime, and it was watched by more than 2 million viewers. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.